Radio. Allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life. A talk by Archbishop Julian Porteous at the Immaculata Mission School 2015. Held at the Sacred Heart Retreat Centre in Croydon, Melbourne. I see um, tonight, uh, it's just been for all of us, a special night of grace. This morning we, we spoke about the Holy Spirit and tried to explore some of the ways in which the Holy Spirit is present and active within us, the sort of things the Holy Spirit does. And we were talking about the idea that the Holy Spirit can be like a breath, a presence that we're not aware of, but really there sustaining our spiritual life, stirring us to prayer, speaking to our hearts as we listen to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit can be there as a, a very quiet, unobtrusive presence that we just don't alert ourselves to, just not aware of it, and yet He is there. We have faith. We desire to pray. We hear the Word of God speaking to our hearts. So the Holy Spirit is there being the agent for those things to take place. It also said that the Holy Spirit can be that transforming presence in our lives, that particularly as St Paul says, the more and more we allow the Holy Spirit to, to move in us, the more and more we desire to live a life in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit begins a process of transformation. And we have these fruits coming forth in our lives, which we're surprised about because we just realise we've changed. And we realise it's not so much what we have done, but it's rather been the grace of God at work in us that's enabled this to happen. Also mentioned the Holy Spirit can, can work in quite, uh, 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 quite strong and, and, and very powerful ways in, in giving particular spiritual gifts. And some people can have quite extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, very clear manifestations of the power of the Spirit at work in a life. We're saying that these particularly we should see in, in the context of the church, not just for ourselves personally, not just for our own benefit, but really they're being given for the service of the church. So we looked at all those things, different ways in which uh, the Holy Spirit is present. While he's mysterious and silent, he's there, he's producing real effects, and we can identify and see those things. There was a, um, a monk, Russian monk in the 19th century, called Saint Seraphim Sarov. And uh, he, most of his life he spent as a hermit in, uh, in the forests. And he was, he was one of those, he was, well, they, sometimes they say he was sort of like the Fran, Saint Francis of Assisi for, for the Russians. He was this beautifully simple man, but there was something extraordinarily attractive about him that, that drew people to him. And, and after many, many years of living in isolation and, and silence, people started to come and seek him, seek him out and seek his spiritual advice. And there was this businessman who came one time, but obviously a man of faith, and he came to this holy man. And he said, he asked Seraphim, What's the goal of the Christian life? Now as we're living our life, what, what, should, we, what should we be striving for most of all? And so Seraphim very interestingly said, the goal of the Christian life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. 
You might think about that for a moment. The goal of the Christian life is acquisition of the Holy Spirit. What he was saying was, as this holy monk was saying, is the more and more that we allow the Holy Spirit to, to flow in upon us and flow into every dimension of our life, that we are being transformed more and more to be, as I said this morning, like Christ. And more and more we're becoming sons and daughters of God according to our God will want us to be because God's life is growing stronger and stronger in us and shaping and creating us and forming us, ultimately forming us in holiness and forming us to be saints. So we could say, that, well, that's a good way of seeing my own goal of living my Christian life. I want the Holy Spirit to be more and more that presence, that dynamic, transforming presence of God in my life. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is going to be one to transform me and raise me up in the full dignity of what God wants me to be, how God sees and desires that I become. Then, after having said that, St. Seraphim just went into silence and the, uh, the businessman was there next to him. The silence. And the businessman was one who was telling the story, by the way, not, not St. Seraphim. And then there was like this profound sense of the presence of God, the holiness of God was just there in that moment. And, and they were both silent. And then afterwards, St. Seraphim says, do you understand what I mean? And the business says, I just feel incredibly well. Like for a moment he sensed grace. He sensed the presence of the Holy Spirit, senses beauty, peace, that glory of the Lord was just there and, and it like flowed over this man. That's, that's what I'm talking about. To allow it to allow it to be such that the glory and grace of God just fully surrounds. And of course that's really what had happened to St. Seraphim. As he'd lived his life as a hermit, more and more the presence and glory of God just fully and completely filled him and he became such an attractive figure to people who sought him out. So tonight we want to explore this further, this question of how can we acquire the Holy Spirit? How, how can we enable ourselves to be in a position whereby the Holy Spirit can be more and more a transforming presence in our life. So we're just going to talk about that a little this evening. I mean, Spirit, I says, is mysterious. And, and for many of us, it, it is hard to understand exactly how the Spirit can work in our life, how and what the Spirit will actually do. It's only sometimes... When we've, when we've tasted something that the Holy Spirit has done within us, that we realise how wonderful and beautiful it is. But if we haven't actually witnessed it yet, it's kind of very difficult to understand, well, what is this all about? What's going to happen? How's it going to happen? What's it going to be like? So on. I know this is probably a very poor example, but imagine you were given an iPad. Okay? Got an iPad. Now, this is the first time you receive an iPad, okay? You know other people got the iPad. So, great, I got an iPad. So you carry the iPad around everywhere with you. Carry the iPad around everywhere with you. 
but you never actually switch it on. You've got an iPad, but you haven't discovered what the iPad can do. And, and then after a while, you switch it on. Ooh. Those little, little buttons come up on the screen, you know? Or you, you go, get the, get the code in, and up it comes. Got all these buttons. I wonder what this one does. Screen flashes up, something happens, you know? And then you sort of, what's going to do next? And you, and you keep exploring and discovering what the iPad can do. I wonder if it's a little bit like the Holy Spirit. You know, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. We've given it. We can't just kind of carry it around. You know, we can't just sort of say, oh, I've got the Holy You know, believe I've got the Holy Spirit. Give me baptism and confirmation. The Holy Spirit's there in my life. That's great. It's good. I've got an iPad. But what we do need to do is to discover what the Holy Spirit can do. And to a certain extent, it, it means for us to actually start exploring what the Holy Spirit can do. Begin to, to press a few buttons, see what happens. Oh, it's interesting. So, so we should see one of the things as, as being open to, to new discovery as we go forward. Now, just like me, I'm probably using about 5% of the capacity of my iPad because that's all I've figured out so far. But there's so much more, so many more things I could do, so many more extraordinary things that the iPad's capable of doing that I don't know about yet. So it can say the same with the Holy Spirit. You can discover a few things. But let me tell you, there's so, so, so much more. So we can keep exploring and discovering and seeing the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit can do. So maybe that's an image. I don't know if it's a good image or not. Um, thank you, Mr. Steve Jobs, for, for, for being able to use your product uh, to explain that. So tonight, what I'd like to do is, is just explore with you a little bit of the way that we can discover some things about the Holy Spirit. And it's a little bit like the iPad too. I think each of us will have to do our own journey. There's, there's no one path, just when you switch on the iPad, there's all sorts of options, and so you choose the options you're interested in. So, so this, is very, this will be individual for each of you tonight. But I'd, I'd like to encourage you to sort of take the approach tonight. I'm just going to be open to explore in my life more the way in which the Holy Spirit can be active in my life. And the more and more I can discover about how the Holy Spirit can work within my life. Am I making some sense so far, Christine? Excellent, good, okay, all right. So that's what we're going to do. Now, I'm going to do it in a number of ways. I'm going to use a couple of scriptures, but, but one scripture that really has been speaking to me over the years, I've spoken about the Holy Spirit on a number of occasions, but in different times, different scriptures have somehow captured me, captured my awareness, helped me see things, understand things in relation to the Holy Spirit. And there's a passage that, um, that has been um, really speaking to me in recent times. It's, it's taken from the Gospel of St. John. It's John, found in John chapter 7, I think about, around about verse 37, I think, if I remember correctly. Now, 
it's a very interesting passage from, from a number of viewpoints. Firstly, I have to give you a bit of background. Jesus has, this is into some time into the ministry of Jesus, and, and it's getting the stage now where there's increasing resistance to him, particularly around Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees are starting to mumble and grumble about themselves, about who is this guy, what do you think, what's he on about, and so on. And, and, and so there's opposition growing, and um, there's, there's a major feast, and, and Jesus used to go up to some of the major feasts when they were on in Jerusalem. That's when a lot of people would, would gather, and Jesus would go up there and be in the, in the temple precincts and speak to the people and so on. And this feast was coming up. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was coming up. It's a feast basically that celebrates the harvest in broad terms. It's a, it's a thanksgiving to God for the harvest, for the gifts of the harvest. And, and so he was, um, this feast was coming up and the disciples said to him, are you you're going to go up to Jerusalem? And the Lord initially said, uh, no, I won't be going up just yet. And, uh, and, and so he said, you guys go up, I'll, I might come up later. The feast runs for about a week. And there's a, a series of things. A lot of people gather for it, and it's in, the, in and around the temple. It culminates on the last day. That's the, 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 the major um, culmination of this week of, of celebrations. And what happens is that on this particular day, the high priest leaves the temple. doesn't have to go very far, but he go, leaves the temple. And, there's, and there might be thousands of people with him. So they have a procession through the narrow streets, down to the pool of Siloam. And they go down to this pool, all people there, and they take along with them a large pitcher, a big stone jar, and they fill it up with water. And there's, there are psalms and songs and so forth. So it's like a real religious procession. They go down there and everybody's coming along, involved in it and so on. Then they come back, they actually go back a different route, they go back, work their way, and they go into the temple. So you imagine this big procession taking place. Then what the priest is going to do, the high, uh, high point of it, is he'll take the water, the large pitcher of water, up, and then when he reaches the, the, uh, the, 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 the altar of sacrifice, which is in the center of the, of the, of the, um, the temple, and it's a, it's a very large stone, um, and has these rivulets running down because they would be slaughtering animals, chickens and, and, and different things, and then the blood flows down there. So, the, so this is this large altar. And he comes up with this large pitcher of water and pours the water over the altar. It all flows down through the wall here. And the whole idea is we, it's a way of giving thanks to God, so it's a lot like offering the water in a way, but... But giving thanks to God for the waters that flow from the heavens that enable the harvest to take place. And, and so there's this great thanksgiving to God for providing the waters that were enabling the harvest to occur. So this was the ceremony. Now what we're told is, as I mentioned before, the disciples went up a bit early, take part in it, but Jesus came a bit later. And it, and it seemed he probably got there just in time for the final day, the final, the, the high point of this week of celebration. We're told by St. John that he was there in the temple precincts. So maybe he just arrived on that particular day when this ceremony was taking place. 
and he would have known what was he would have known the ceremonies like we know what happens at Christmas and Easter and those sort of things. So he would have known what was going on. And and then he was and then he watched as the procession came back. They're coming back and they're carrying maybe they're carrying several pitchers of water, solemnly carrying the water through to, to then pour on uh, the carrying the water to pour on the altar. And then St. John tells us, quite extraordinary, Jesus cried out. So this is all taking place. And maybe there's a lot of noise and stuff. He, cried, he, said, he cries out. And he says this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Okay, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So... They're all celebrating the waters that have given the harvest. But if he, and that's uh, uh, thanking God for the gift. But he's saying, if you have a thirst, come to me and drink. And, of course, he's not speaking here about harvests and things. He's speaking about the thirst of the spirit, the longing of the human heart for union with God. So you're all celebrating the waters that gave the harvest. Great, that's wonderful. But you're doing a very religious act and you're, you're giving acknowledgement to God. Great, that's wonderful. But if you are really thirsty, come to me and drink. So the Lord is acknowledging here, firstly, that he wants to satisfy the thirst of the human spirit, the thirst of the human heart. There's a beautiful psalm that says, As the deer longs for running streams, so my soul thirsts for you, my God. I don't think you can identify with that. It might be good just thinking about it for a moment. As a deer yearns for running streams, so my soul thirsts for you, my God. Do we identify within ourselves a thirst, a longing, a desire for God? We know that, that, that I really want God to be in my life, in the very heart and centre of my life. All the things that I might search for and long for and desire and hope for in my life, all those things are good, my career, my future, all those sorts of things, my vocation, all the things, they're all good things. I'm longing for these things to happen. But do we sense deep in our hearts there is this longing for God, there is thirst for God, there is this need for God, there is this desire the union with God, to know God. That's what Jesus was speaking to, if you like, when he said that. If any, man, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. So if you find in your heart that you're, 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 you're something missing, there's something lacking, that you're not, you're not complete in yourself, there's something more that you're searching for in life, there's, something, there's some sort of gap, there's something missing. And that's that thirst what Augustine said, wasn't it? Our souls are restless until they rest in thee. You know, that, 
The human heart searches and, and looks for something that provides ultimate meaning, ultimate purpose, ultimate value, that, that, that ultimately gives the sense of completion to the direction and purpose of our life. See, God made us for himself. There's no other place we'll find it. We'll find other things I'll satisfy for a short time, but they won't be enduring. They won't last forever. There's only one thing that will ultimately satisfy the longing of the human spirit. There's only one thing that will ultimately satisfy the thirst of the human heart. Christ says, if, you, if you've got that thirst, then come to me. Come to me. I'll, I'll meet that thirst. Then he says, whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of flowing water flowing rivers of living water. So there's a reference here to the scriptures speaking about, and St. John here is quoting, that from his heart will flow streams of living water. So St. John is making a comment here on what Jesus was saying in the temple because John could see the significance later on of what Jesus was saying. Then he adds, now he, now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So St. John remembers this. St. John looks back. He's writing many, many years later. He looks back on this event. And he remembers, I remember that, remember that time in the temple, Feast of Tabernacles, when all made that extraordinary statement, and he says, he's speaking about the spirit, isn't he? What Jesus wants to do, the, the thirst, the desire of the, human, of the human spirit is to receive the flowing waters of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, come to me so that I can give you the Holy Spirit. And he said, no, that won't happen until the Lord's been glorified, until the Lord's death and resurrection. So it, it won't happen now. At this moment in the temple, you won't be able to receive the full outpouring of what Christ has in store, but he is talking about what his great desire is, his longing is. Jesus wants every human heart to receive the life-giving waters of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit alone can satisfy that thirst of the human heart. So the Lord wants those who are thirsting, who are seeking to come to a place where they can find and experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. I said this morning that um, you know, as, as Jesus was moving towards the end of his life, he more and more spoke about the Holy Spirit. One says, he said, look, it's necessary for me to go because unless I go, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit. So he, he, he very clearly saw that... Uh, that was going to be the Holy Spirit as the, the, the final gift that would be given through his death and resurrection to us. So we might get a sense there of how much Jesus himself wants us to taste and experience this gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the great gift that God wants to give us. So I just want to stop there for a moment, just hold that. I'll return to that in a moment. 
because I want to talk about something now that I think is very, very relevant for this question of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that very simply is the age in which we live. We live in a rather interesting age. There are, in every age, there are ideologies, movements, cultural influences, social approaches. All, you know, human history is full of a swirling of, of different forces and influences are, are shaping particular cultures and societies at, at one time or another in one way or another. So ours is no different, but there are distinctive characteristics to the age in which we live. And we live in an age which has many, many pluses and many, many good things. We're enjoying unprecedented experience of prosperity. We've had great advances in medical science. We're all living so much longer. In Australia, we have enormous opportunity and possibilities for our life. You know, we are so blessed. We've got so many good things. Our standard of living, all the things that we can enjoy, like iPods or iPads or iPhones or all that sort of stuff, you know. They weren't around a century ago. You know, all these things, we are so blessed in having so many material advantages and so, and so many blessings for comfort of life and, and so on. However, it's also an age which there are other things that are, that are at work that are affecting uh, the quality of life in our society. One of them in particular is, is, is this strong focus on the individual. Now, there's so many good aspects to this. But we, we talk a lot about the individualism of our, of our day. We have to say that we really are living in a generation which is probably best described as a me generation. The world focuses around me. I'm the centre of the earth. I'm the most important person in the world, like the ads say. This is for the most important person in the world, you. You know, me. I'm the most important person. And, and so, so we have to see that this is a change from, certainly from way, way back when people lived as a sense of being part of a people or being part of a clan. And so their identity was very much caught up with the clan or with, or with the village or, or with the particular group that they are part of. And they always saw themselves as, as, as a part of a unit. And often their lives were lived in such, such a way that they, they were focused on, on the basic service of the particular societal unit they're part of. But now we have what we could call the atomization of society, individual atoms everywhere. They're all quite isolated from one another. While we still have a general social life, increasingly people live that life with a focus on themselves and, and their own particular destiny, their own particular desires and wants. And so this me generation also is very highly focused on the importance of rights. So everybody's talking about their rights. Everybody has a whole stack of rights. And uh, people will very quickly claim their rights. And so somebody wants to do something in, near where you live, and so you suddenly become a NIMBY. Not in my backyard. You know, we don't think of what might be good for the society. No, this is going to affect me. And so I don't want uh, this particular highway built anywhere near my house is going to ruin my standard of living and cause my property prices to go down or whatever. You know, so this, this whole approach that, that everything has to centre around me. I'm the centre of the universe. Now, this is a, this, 
does create a whole lot of issues and, and, and problems because one of the things that happens is that people now all the time say, what is in it for me? I'll only do things that I see as beneficial for me. So all the time we're judging circumstances and situations and, and making decisions whether it is going to be in the long run to my benefit or not. And if I can see I can get something out of it, then I'll do it. But if I don't think I'm going to get any real benefit from it, why bother? So there is this focus on on self. Now one of the problems with this is that also we start setting ourselves up to say, well I am going to be the determinant of what I think is good and right and appropriate for my life. So straight away what we've done is we've narrowed down our sense of who we are and our destiny according to what we ourselves are able to perceive or understand. We've, we've actually reduced ourselves down and I've become the, the basic, the standard for everything. Now, I might be fairly capable and so on, but I've really reduced it down to me. So everything's going to be depend on how clever I am or how insightful I am or, or how much I'm able to, to see particular benefit or value in, in something. So everything's been reduced down to me. So everybody now tends to want to make decisions according to what they see as beneficial for themselves. The problem is this, about this is we've then limited ourselves very much because everything now just is on capacity, my capacity to see truth and value and goodness in things. This is quite radically different to being a Christian. See, a Christian recognises that God is the point of reference for human life. I'm not the point of reference for human life. So it's a radical opposite to what's happening in our society. That's why so many people today have such difficulty in believing, in having faith. And most people will, will, who, who have a sense that there's something more to life will get involved in New Age or something. And New Age basically is really just um, contemporary, me-generation religion. And, 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 and New Age is largely simply a desire to find some religious thing that makes me feel good or that gives me some some kind of spiritual high or something like that. Because the whole focus has become on satisfying my needs and what suits and fits in to me. As I said, the truth of things is that God is the measure of all things, not man being the measure of all things. And one of the things about being Christian is, is to be actually able to make that change. And one of the things we need to do to make that change is basically to enter into a process of surrender. We have to let go. Our society tells us, hang on. You do your thing. 
You're the one to decide the direction of your life. Our society says you set your own goals and you work hard and you achieve your goals. It's all on you focusing on yourself, you satisfying your needs as you perceive them. The Christian says no. God is a source of life. God is a source of meaning. God is my destiny. And so one of the key things that has to happen for all of us today, and probably more strikingly today than in times past, is we need to walk that path of surrender, letting go. And it's hard because it goes against the culture in which we live. And, you know, sometimes we might say, well, God, I'll let you into this little corner of my life. But can I keep the rest? Because they know, trust me and give over everything. Trust me and surrender. Trust me, let go. It is so hard to do it. But if we do it, it will release the floodgates of the power of the Holy Spirit because we're allowing God to become the source of our life, become the means of our growth, become the principle of our transformation. So it's to surrender. A little bit like, not a little bit like, a lot like the Blessed Virgin Mary. She didn't understand exactly what the angel was saying, angel Gabriel was saying. But she said simply, let it be done unto me according to your word. She surrendered. And so the Son of, Son of God was born amongst us. So God's plan of salvation was affected. Because she said yes, she surrendered. She handed over. And was it a surrender that was filled with uh, darkness and struggle and difficulty? No. She would sing of the glory and wonder of what has happened in her life because of that surrender. And she'll say, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, because the Almighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Her heart was full of praise and, and, and thanksgiving to God. She had surrendered. And God had done great things. And she could see that. And she marveled at what God has done. Now there will be that fear and that anxiety about, about letting go. But we have to maybe just look at somebody like the Blessed Virgin Mary and see that what God has for us, what God wants to do in us, is wonderful. And we actually, by our surrender, let God do those wonderful things that are not possible because we keep restricting what God wants to do. We only give him a little corner of our life to work in. We only concede certain things that limit all that God wants to do. Now, surrendering is pretty scary, yes. And it's got to be an act of trust. I always think, this image of divine mercy 
is, is so relevant for our times because of these words. Jesus, I trust in you. That's what was the message. Mercy will flow forth. But for my mercy to flow forth, what I need is for people to have trust. They come to Jesus and say, I trust in you. I, I entrust myself to you. I entrust my life to you. And then, from his heart, flow streams of grace. From his heart flow the streams of grace. Remember John chapter 7. From his heart will flow streams of living water. That heart which loves humanity so much, that heart which was pierced on the cross, is now the heart from which the grace and mercy and life-giving power of the Holy Spirit is released upon humanity. And so we come to him in trust. That's the key thing, in trust, in surrender. And as we surrender, as we give over, we're allowing that grace to begin to flow. You know, I think in a lot of ways today, I think largely because of the world in which we live, that the Holy Spirit is often not appreciated, not recognised, and not received in life, even among very good committed Catholics, because we've all got caught up in this sense of personal activism. We've all got caught up in this sense of I'll do my thing, even my thing for God. I'll be involved doing what I, what I want to do for God rather than allowing myself to be used according to God's own kind purposes, what God wants to do for us. So even in the church, many people, I think, restrict what God could do in their lives because they just want to like, keep somehow in control of what God wants to do. So tonight, I'd like to invite you to consider making a surrender. As you can, to the extent that you can, for some it will just be too hard. I just can't do it. Even when your sense is right and you want to do it, you think, I can't let go. I've got to hang on. But maybe say, Lord, I, I want to surrender. I'm really fighting really hard. Can you help me? To let go. To surrender. Let God take over. Let God be your principle of life. You will not be disappointed. So think about the idea of surrender. If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You thirst, come to the Lord, surrender, allow him to give those life-giving waters. This morning I finished my talk quoting from uh, St. Louis Gospel 
where the Lord said, ask and you shall receive, search and you shall find, knock and the door will be opened to you. I mention that because it is, there is a, a real action on our part. It is, we need to, this is an, an action that we need to be engaged in very deliberately ourselves. We need to, to make the decision, I'm going to seek God's spirit. I, I want the power of the spirit in my life. I want God to do the wonderful things he wants to do in my life, so I'm going to ask. I'm going to seek. I'm going to knock. That's what I'm going to do tonight. How much more does your Heavenly Father long to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So things can happen and will happen. I'll finish with um, that reference that I've already spoken to about, spoken to you about, of what happened at Pentecost when St. Peter spoke and uh, the crowds, and they were cut to the heart, said, what must we do? What must we do, brothers? And he said those three things. Repent, be baptised, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And I've already been through that process of repentance, we're, also, we're looking at this question of being baptised. We've been baptised, yes. But I'm saying tonight, enter more deeply into your baptism. Because your baptism say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And I, I, and I give myself in trust to him, to Jesus. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. So the gift is intended for you. So tonight, you might be conscious of those, those steps repentance i've begun to walk the path of repentance and i'm always want to continue to walk the path of repentance and yes i do believe in jesus and i do want to follow him and i do want to be his disciple but tonight i'm going to go further i say lord i offer myself completely to you i'll follow you wherever you want to go i'll do whatever you want me to do I will truly be your disciple. And then you're going to ask, I thirst for the life-giving waters of the Holy Spirit. Pour forth the gift, the power, the beauty of the Holy Spirit afresh this night into my heart. Amen. That was Archbishop Julian Porteous with allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.